0: welcome to the episcopal church of the holy communion thank you for joining us for this sermon you can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our facebook youtube and podcast channels consider hitting like or subscribe consider sharing this sermon with others it helps us to reach more people like you we are so thankful to those who support our ministry you can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give in, our na- in the name of our one true and living God, amen. Please be seated. Do you think I have come to bring peace? As Wednesday Bible study was getting out this week, I happened to run into Deacon Chester. Uh, that group has been gathering for years and years, and now they gather every Wednesday to study the scriptures that were coming up, so they just read this gospel. And Chester looked at me as I was coming up and he said, Mike, are you going to explain what Jesus means on Sunday? And I smiled and I said, I'm going to try my best, Chester. Pray for me. (laughs) This is a tough gospel. It's tough in part because of what Jesus says, but it's also the tone that seems to be with Jesus. And Jesus asks the disciples today, do you think I have come to bring peace? And you almost could forgive them, right? You you could almost forgive them for thinking, well, yes. Didn't you hear those Christmas carols? Didn't the angels say, peace on earth, goodwill to all people? Today, Jesus says, no. No. I have not come to bring peace, but division. You almost want to look at him and say, Lord, thanks. We have enough division. <laughs> How about some peace? When I got here to St. Louis, I had to significantly rework one of my standard sermons about peace. I worked previously as a priest in Washington, D.C. And there I became a bit of an activist. And I'd gotten into marches and I'd gotten used to this chant that was pretty popular. It was really simple. It went no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And the longer version sometimes if we don't get no justice then you don't get no peace. Right? And I used to riff on that chant in the pulpit. No justice, no peace. I'd say you can you can hear it as a threat. Or you can hear it as a spiritual teaching, you can spell the words, K-N-O-W, justice, K-N-O-W, peace. If you want to know peace, you have to know justice. And and I still think that that's true, I'll I'll get there a little bit later in the sermon, but St. Louis made that chant more complicated, they made my clever riff harder, Because eight years ago this last week, Michael Brown was killed by a police officer up in Ferguson, and I heard the third line to that chant for the first time. No justice, no peace, no racist police. I've heard that chant echo in the streets of Ferguson. I've heard it bouncing off buildings in downtown St. Louis and downtown Clayton. I've even heard it marching on Delmar in the Loop. No justice, no peace, no racist police. A simple spelling change doesn't resolve that third line as easily. It's been eight years, and we've seen how hard it is to resolve the difficulties behind that third line. Resolving Jesus' words today is likewise complex. It's difficult. And Jesus preached about God's reign of justice and equity. It's the center of this whole long section of Luke. He preaches about the reign of God that is coming. There's a um, woman, a writer, and, oh, I'm going to get her name wrong. But there's a woman writer who says, um, when we pray the Our Father, we ought to do it with hard hats on. Because when you say your kingdom come, it's a little terrifying. Jesus says that for the kingdom to come, a lot is going to have to burn down. A lot of the false peace, which is people have settled for, is going to have to burn away. Jesus came and turned over tables. Jesus upset a status quo that had a very specific name in his time. Jesus lived in the time of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. This supposed peace was lived for Jesus' people at the tip of a sword. Cruel men like Herod and Pontius Pilate, they defined peace narrowly for their own benefit. They taxed the poor to pay for armies and palaces. They used threats to, quote, keep the peace. There's a collect on page 260 of the Book of Common Prayer. It's called The Prayer for Social Justice. It begins like this. Almighty God, who created us in your image, grant us grace fearlessly to contend against evil and make no peace with oppression. Grant us to make no peace with oppression. Dr. King once said, peace is not the absence of conflict peace is the presence of justice peace is not the absence of conflict it is the presence of justice but we often pretend otherwise we make peace with the construction of a wall on our southern border we pay for or put up with security guards keeping outsiders from entering particular neighborhoods in their own city Uh, we think if we can just keep a certain so-called undesirables out of our space. If we can just keep violence outside of our little territory, we will have peace. In the name of peace, in that limited vision of peace, we often perpetuate injustice. I'm a clergy kid and I get nervous about bringing my kid into the pulpit, but at this age he climbs into the pulpit himself. Uh, So I'm going to tell you a story about Silas. He's just about to be four and in our house, we're struggling a little bit with the question about toy guns. And Silas knows that if he picks up a certain stick with a certain shape, his dad and his papa don't want him to call it a gun. Now, Silas is smart and creative, and he knows that we like Star Wars, so he tends to say, don't worry, it's a blaster. <laughs> that extra dimension of make-believe, it helps. But it amazes me how many of the stories, whether they're online or on TV or in a book, how many of the stories that we surround our kids with, they teach us that conflict must be resolved using weapons. The idea that violence is necessary to bring about peace, that we forge peace with a gun. It's deeply embedded in the stories around us. It's hard to counter that vision, that violent vision of peace, even with my own kid. When Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, I think Jesus is saying, the peace that you think you know, the peace you have to maintain with violence, the so-called peace of mind that some people purchase when they purchase a gun, this is not the kind of peace God wants to give you. If your peace has to be defended... It isn't the peace of God. Peace that has to be defended is always and only temporary. Jesus came to uproot our limited visions of peace. But for centuries now, we've been trying to forge a limited peace. Just for folks who look like, who speak like, who vote like, or worship like us. We're quickly learning separate is not equal and separate is also not dependably peaceful. We live in a rapidly globalizing world and our limited strategies for peace are breaking down faster than they ever have before. As we come up against the limits, Christians have a message to proclaim. It goes like this, if you want to know peace, you got to know justice. If you want peace in your world, humbly work for human rights abroad. It's slow work, but it's the only work. If you want peace closer to home in your neighborhood, you better be ready to work humbly for equity in the school districts that surround you. Humbly work for equity, for justice. Humility is key and it's not easily won in this world. I intentionally didn't begin this sermon with an exhortation to inner peace. Inner peace is sometimes fleeting in our household. A lot of the Christian books that I've read about peacemaking include some version of the teaching, if you want to build peace beyond yourself, you have to first build peace within yourself. And sure, that sentiment makes a nice bumper sticker, But I know that there are a lot of us who aren't feeling particularly peaceful with the state of the world. And I think sometimes we sell ourselves a vision of Christianity that tells us good Christians, we're not supposed to get angry. We're supposed to find some sort of constant softness, an inner peace. I recently listened to a conversation with Dr. Barbara Holmes, a theologian and contemplative teacher I'm coming to deeply admire. And I listened to her as she admitted that she still feels angry. She still feels angry about Trayvon Martin's murder. And she says she feels, as a professional Christian, as a professional contemplative, like she's supposed to be over it, reconciled. But she's not. Barbara Holmes is the mother of black children. And so she finds Jesus' anger liberating. And The book of Hebrews in our reading today calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Luke's gospel tells us today, we follow a savior who at times wanted to burn it all down. Jesus had a capacity for anger, righteous anger, anger at the state of the world, anger for the injustices faced by so many of God's beloved. Following Jesus does not require us to entirely suppress our anger. Following Jesus means we can learn not to suppress our lament, our joy, our praise as well. Jesus expresses them all. Just a few verses further along in this gospel, and Jesus will marvel that such a small thing as a mustard seed can grow into a great tree. Jesus' parables sometimes make me think of the poet Mary Oliver, the combination of astute observation and wonder. Jesus considers the lilies, notices the birds of the air, and yes, Jesus gets angry. Jesus at one point gets angry at a fig tree, which isn't expressing its full self. Jesus' anger is liberating because Jesus was able to read the signs around him, the signs of joy, as well as the signs of despair. And Jesus was still able to show up for work, and Jesus was angry and he was still able to show love to work for healing. Jesus' anger is expressed alongside his capacity for awe and his words of hope. Jesus, we believe, was fully human and can help our own it can help us with our own humanness to pause and consider just how Jesus lived into that fullness. Well, I don't know, Chester. I'm not sure how much sense I've made of this lesson. But I will finish with this. I think what Luke's gospel tells us is that Jesus did not come to reinforce our false sense of security. Even in his anger in these verses, I read a deep and beautiful vision for justice, for equity for the love that is possible between humans. God longs for us to be deeply who we are and to treat one another as we deserve to be treated, as we were made to be treated. And Jesus doesn't settle for a limited human vision of peace, a peace which is no peace for too many. Jesus wants nothing less than the peace of God nothing less for us than the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Amen.